Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. On the morning of September 1st, 1954, Peter Tiarks received a telephone call at his home near Bridport in Dorset. On the other end of the line, he heard the voice of his late parents' nurse, Noreen O'Connor, who told him that he needed to come to Gardine at once because something terrible had happened. Gardine was the property Peter's father had left to Noreen after his death two years earlier. It was there where 46-year-old Noreen lived with the family's previous nurse, 77-year-old Marie. After making the 50-mile journey to the cottage in the Somerset village of Loxton, Peter found Noreen reclining on the sofa in the sitting room. When he asked her what had happened, she began rambling incoherently for almost 45 minutes. Eventually, Noreen told him that she had seen an evil look in Marie's eyes and said, There was one moment when the look became so strong and the evil in the eye so strong that I plucked them out. Peter was stunned and asked if Marie was dead. Noreen replied, It is not Marie that is dead. It is the evil that was in her. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 37 of They Walk Among Us. A podcast dedicated to UK true crime.
Frederica Alvine Marie Bulls, known as Marie, was born in Mecklenburg in 1877. She had come to England from Germany in 1899 to work as a maid for Emmy Tiox, the wife of Frank Tiox, a wealthy Bank of England director. After years of service as a maid, Marie eventually became a nurse for the ageing and infirm Emmy Tiox. When the war was declared in September 1939, tens of thousands of Germans and Austrians who resided in the UK were classified as enemy aliens. Internment tribunals were held to examine all German and Austrian nationals to determine whether they would be interned for the duration of the war or be exempt. As Marie had come from Germany long before the war, she was exempt from internment, but was restricted on where she could reside. Others were not so lucky, particularly those aboard the SS Arundora Star, a British ship transporting foreign nationals to an internment camp in Canada. The vessel was hit by a German U-boat and sank, killing almost half the 1,500 people on board. Marie was unable to work where she wanted during the war, so the Tiarchs had to hire someone to care for Emmy in the meantime. Noreen O'Connor was a registered nurse who had been employed at a clinic in London. She looked after Emmy Tiarchs until her death in August 1943. Afterwards, Noreen stayed on as a carer for Frank Tiarchs, who used a wheelchair following a hunting accident years earlier. Noreen was a good companion for the widower, and she assisted him in business affairs as well as travelling alongside her employer on trips abroad. In 1945, Frank purchased an eight-room cottage known as Gardine and gifted it to Noreen. After the war, Marie Bulls resumed working for Frank T. Arks alongside Noreen until Frank's death in 1952. Frank T. Arks had left some trusts and other property to Noreen in his will, including a £20,000 trust fund and several vehicles. Being known for her generous nature, it was no surprise that Noreen asked Marie to move in to Gardine with her. During the previous three years, Marie had suffered two strokes and also broken her leg. Noreen had acted as Marie's nurse, a job she was said to have done with great devotion. As well as nursing, Noreen was known in the village for her willingness to offer her free time to fundraisers and local affairs. She had helped to raise funds to extend and improve the village hall, and had also been involved with the local school. Noreen had been due to open the West Somerset Horse Show on September 4th. Those who knew Noreen said that she was a capable and empathetic nurse, who had been under no obligation to care for Marie Balls in the way she did, nor did she have to allow Marie to live with her.
On August 31, 1954, the housekeeper Eva Simmons delivered Marie her evening meal in her bedroom and said she seemed to be in normal health. With a broken leg, Marie was confined to the room, but regardless of her injury, she was in good spirits. At around 7.45pm, Eva said goodnight to Noreen. Noreen was wearing a light blue suit and told Eva she was going out to a meeting. Noreen was a co-director of the Callow Rock Lime Company in Cheddar, a limestone quarry that produced hydrated lime products for use in the chemical industry. That evening, Noreen went to the office to meet fellow director Morris William Bailey, as she had done around three times a week for the past six years. Morris asked Noreen about her trip to Plymouth, which she had returned from the previous day. Noreen began to relay a bizarre story. She said that when they arrived, someone suggested they should have lunch in a French cafe, but instead she and her friend went to the Grand Hotel in Plymouth Ho. Noreen explained that it was strange, but they were directed to a table in the restaurant where she had sat when she accompanied her late employer Frank Tiox. She felt as though Frank was always with her, and guided her in everything that she did, and it was his presence that prevented her from, quote, being dragged to a French cafe, and I felt that I was someone again. Morris later remembered that Noreen spoke vaguely about escaping a sudden death, and he began to think that she was mentally unstable. While she was there, she referred to another staff member as a good man, and told Morris that the goodness of his soul was shown in his eyes. Noreen asked Morris, Have I been behaving queerly lately? If I have, it will be different now, for the evil spirit is dead forever. Morris did not know what she was talking about, and he began to feel uncomfortable speaking with her. He later said, was feeling so embarrassed all the time. On at least two occasions, I rose from my desk to try and terminate the interview to see if Miss O'Connor would leave. After telling Morris that the evil spirit was dead, she remarked, I feel so happy I want to sing now. The fight is over. The evil is dead. She then began to sing the first line of a hymn. The strife is over, the battle done. When she finally got up to leave, Morris asked if he would see her the following day, and Noreen replied, I don't know. I don't know where I shall be tomorrow. I feel so happy I might go anywhere. When Peter Tiarx received the unsettling phone call from Noreen the following morning, he left his home within an hour to make the 50-mile journey to Loxton. 
The housekeeper Reva had arrived at her usual time of 8.15am to make breakfast and clean the property. Even noticed that Marie's curtains and the curtains covering the landing windows were not drawn like they usually would be when she arrived each morning. Eva went to the kitchen to prepare breakfast, and it was there that she saw Noreen in her dressing gown. Noreen told Eva that something terrible has happened to Marie. Eva tried to ask her what she meant, but Noreen just replied that she had been awake all night. Eva replied, It looks like you have. Noreen said that she had phoned Peter T. Arks and she was going to have an hour's rest before he arrived. Knowing that Marie had medical issues, the housekeeper assumed that Marie had a stroke, so she did not disturb her with breakfast. Eva brought a tray to Noreen's room and found her awake and starting to get dressed. At around 10am, Peter Tiax arrived at the cottage. He found Noreen reclining on the sofa in the sitting room, fully dressed in the same two-piece blue suit she had worn the previous evening. He asked her what had happened, and she simply replied, but surely you know. Noreen relayed the story about her time in Plymouth. She explained that on the journey over, the driver had almost killed her in a near collision. She was sure it had been orchestrated by another passenger who wanted her dead. Noreen said that she had felt a sense of elation on the journey in the car, and she had spent the entire trip singing tunes. She told Peter that one of her travelling companions had called her after she got home to see how she was. Noreen then mentioned that she had turned on the radio the previous evening, and she heard the news about, quote, Germany and all those dreadful matters about rearmament and other evil things. The conversation, which lasted around three quarters of an hour, was increasingly confusing for Peter. It was then Noreen started to talk about an evil look she had recently seen in Marie's eyes. Peter recalled, She said she heard noise of someone opening and closing doors which seemed to come from Marie's bedroom. She went into Marie's room and said she experienced a feeling of evil on the landing, which made her hair stand on end. When she went into Marie's room and touched the bed, she got an electric shock. Noreen had sat with Marie and held her hands while she prayed aloud, and she did her best to stop Marie from looking at her. While praying, she heard voices coming from Marie's mouth, but it wasn't Marie's own voice, and she thought the elderly woman looked different. The voice said, This is my hate. Noreen said to Peter, Surely you realise this evil spirit had to be got rid of. 
Peter described how Noreen did not seem to be ashamed or embarrassed, but rather elated about having done a good thing by getting rid of the evil in Marie. He later said, All this time, Noreen was praying out loud trying to remove this evil thing from Marie. She even heard voices helping her. After some time, Marie again looked into the corner of this room, but this time the evil in her eye was so strong that Noreen said, I plucked them out. I said, Do you mean you plucked out Marie's eyes, and she is now dead? And Noreen said, It is not Marie who is dead. It is the evil that was in her. Peter asked if she realised the consequences of what she had done, and Noreen simply answered, Well, so long as the truth is told and the truth must be told, no harm can be done. Peter Tiarx did not know what to do, so he sent for the local GP, Dr Norman Cooper. Dr. Cooper had known both Noreen and Marie for several years in a professional capacity and as a fellow medical expert. He made his way over from the hospital right away. Dr. Cooper arrived at Gardine around 11.30am. After speaking with Peter briefly, the doctor headed to the upstairs bedroom where he found Marie's body lying on the floor between the bed, the wall and the radiator. Her head was about a foot away from the bottom of the bed, and it seemed possible she could have slipped and fallen on the floor. Marie's arms were folded, and her eye sockets appeared sunken. The doctor knew nothing could be done, so he went downstairs to speak to Noreen. Dr. Cooper asked what had happened. Noreen told him that there had been a lot of evil things about. She also repeated the same story regarding Marie's eyes. He said that she had heard the sounds of drawers being opened upstairs the night before and had gone up to investigate. When she looked into the room, Noreen thought Marie looked peculiar so she sat with her instead of going to bed. As they sat together, Noreen said she began to feel electric shocks coming from things she touched, including the bedspread. When she tried to leave the room, she felt a shock at the door. Noreen described an overwhelming sense that Marie was in danger, so she went back to sit with her and held her hands. When she saw a change in Marie's eyes, a voice from Marie said, This is my hate. Noreen started to pray as hard as she could. She explained that she looked into Marie's eyes and realised they were evil eyes, and she had to take them out. Noreen told the doctor that she could not remember anything else until daybreak but by then all of the evil spirits had vanished. So she pulled the blind shut and called Peter Tiarx. 
Dr. Cooper asked Noreen if she understood what she had done and what the consequences would be. She answered that she hadn't done anything awful. She had done a good thing by getting rid of evil. Dr. Cooper drove to the nearest police station in Axbridge to inform them of what had happened. He later said that he did not use the telephone because he knew how people listen on the phone, presumably referring to call operators. After speaking with the police, Dr. Cooper returned to the house to examine Marie's body at around 12.30pm. She was fully clothed on the floor. Her arms were folded and her hands were almost balled up into fists. Dr. Cooper saw that her right hand was quite swollen. Her head was turned slightly to the left. Marie's eyeballs had collapsed into the sockets. The eyelids were torn out and it appeared as though pieces of her eyes were absent, having been gouged out. Her right nostril was damaged and her lip was torn back as far as the gum. She was missing an upper left molar, which was later found on the floor. There was also a small bruise on her right shoulder. Dr. Cooper believed that it was possible for Marie to have had a fatal stroke and the shock or injury she had sustained could have brought it on. Detective Inspector Leslie Long from Western Supermare Police arrived and told Noreen that he was going to detain her in connection with Marie Bull's death. She replied that she didn't want to say anything until she had spoken with a solicitor. When her solicitor arrived at the police station, Noreen O'Connor was charged with murder. In her response, she said... I have no objection at all to telling them what happened and why it happened. Police Sergeant Christopher Woodruff went to Gardine with other officers at around 1.10pm and began searching the bedroom. They found a tooth, some hair and a hair comb, the kind that a person wears in their hair. The sergeant also took a sample of blood from the floor. There was no blood on the bedclothes, but there was a significant amount on some wooden wall panelling and on the floor. It was further noted that there was a chair in the room close to the bed. The officer then searched the adjoining bathroom. There he found a dress, a brazier and an underslip. All were wet. A bloody towel was collected too and all of the items were sent to the Forensic Science Laboratory in Bristol. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Center. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Center comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Marie Ball's remains were examined at Western General Hospital by pathologist Dr. Arthur T.F. Rowley at 8.30pm that evening. As well as the apparent injuries to her eyes, there were multiple lacerations on Marie's face. He found a large bruise on the back of her head that could have been caused when she fell and struck her head against the floor. A fall of that magnitude could have caused shock or a stroke, something significant enough to cause her death. Dr. Rowley concluded that Marie was in a condition that meant she could have had a heart attack or stroke at any time due to her frailty. He determined that her death was caused by shock after sustaining violent injuries to her face and eyes. He noted that the bruise on the back of her head was consistent with the possibility that she had been unconscious at the time the injuries were inflicted. While in custody at Western Supermare Police Station, Noreen O'Connor had initially been quiet, but that evening she began to act strangely. She moved the furniture across the floor as she repeatedly shouted, saying the same religious expressions over and over again. Noreen then knelt down and began to pray aloud. Eventually, Detective Inspector Long had to call the doctor to try and calm her down. Throughout the night, she continued to act the same way. 
Noreen O'Connor appeared in the dock at Axbridge Court the following morning to be charged with murder. Noreen looked out of place, dressed in a large grey coat that made her seem smaller than she was. On top of her blonde hair, she wore a turquoise beret that matched her dress. As she sat in the dock, Noreen smiled and nodded towards the people she recognised in the public gallery. With her hands clasped on her lap, Noreen turned her attention to the magistrates as the proceedings began. Detective Inspector Long told the court that he had arrived at Gardine at 12.35pm the previous day. After seeing the body of Marie Bulls, he had detained Noreen O'Connor. No application for bail was made, and Noreen was ordered to be remanded into custody for a week. Later that morning, the inquest into Marie Bull's death opened at the same court. Noreen had requested to be present. After having lunch and having her fingernail scrapings taken by Dr Rowley at the police station in Western Supermare, she was taken back to Axbridge Court. Noreen sat in the public gallery between two policewomen, with her solicitor next to them. She happily spoke with her escorts and Dr Cooper while they waited for the inquest to begin. Dr Cooper told the coroner that he believed that Marie had been dead for seven to ten hours when he arrived. The inquest was adjourned pending legal proceedings and Noreen was transported back to Exeter Prison. On the way there, she began to exhibit more signs that she was experiencing delusions. Noreen O'Connor appeared at Axbridge for another hearing on September 9th. Again, her hands were clasped, and she bowed to the magistrates as the charge was read. The case had been given to the Director of Public Prosecutions so Noreen was remanded back into custody. She bowed once more before being escorted towards the door, where she tried to stop and speak with locals seated on the public benches. A week later, she was back in the courtroom, where she was seen smiling at people sitting in the gallery. From the dock, she nodded to those she recognised, and when she was asked if she had anything to say, Noreen replied, Nothing. Thank you so much. When the proceedings came to an end, she seemed unaware that she had been remanded back into custody. She asked a policewoman, Do I have to go? Noreen O'Connor was eventually escorted through the door by a nurse. When the committal hearing began on September 24th, the gallery in the small courthouse was crowded with around 40 people, who were mostly local women. Noreen was seated between a wardress and a nursing sister. 
She was smiling and outstretched her arm to shake hands with her defence counsel before the proceedings began. The prosecutor opened the hearing and told the magistrates about Marie Bull's and Noreen O'Connor's relationship. He said, She moved to this house and very kindly took with her this woman who had been a German maid and looked after her because she had become old by then. She had been ill and had broken her leg and Miss O'Connor served her with great devotion. The prosecutor went on to tell the magistrates that Noreen was struggling with her mental health. However, he did not feel at this stage that it was relevant as to the decision that would need to be made. Quote, The mental illness of this woman may or may not have had a great deal to do with what happened. That may be a matter for another court, but it is not a matter for your consideration. So far as you are concerned, it is irrelevant. The magistrates had to decide whether or not Noreen O'Connor would be sent to trial. Peter T. Arx was the first witness to testify. He recalled speaking with Noreen on the phone on the morning of September 1st and how ambiguous she had been. Peter said, I tried to find out what had happened and I was told that it could not be spoken of on the telephone, that something dreadful had happened to Marie, and that she had been possessed, I think that was the word, of something evil. Peter explained to the court that he told Noreen it would be difficult for him to get there, as he had an appointment in Wales the next day, but her words disturbed him. He said... I realised something was wrong and left home within an hour. I got to the house at about 10am and found Noreen fully dressed, reclining on the sofa in the sitting room. After speaking incoherently for some time, Noreen eventually began to talk about the evil she witnessed in Marie's eyes. Noreen said she had sat with Marie for a long time in her bedroom, and prayed while holding her hand. Then she saw something change in Marie's eyes before Marie slipped to the floor. Noreen had told Peter that she had expected him to arrive the previous night, even though no arrangements for that had been made. When Peter asked Noreen if she understood that she had killed Marie, Noreen replied, Well, I suppose she is dead. But I did not kill her. I did it in order to get rid of the evil in her eyes. Peter Tiox told the court that Noreen had no reason to kill Marie. He recalled that Marie had suffered two strokes and a broken leg, and said, On each of these three occasions, Noreen looked after Marie with great care and attention. I'm sure of that. Noreen and Marie lived at Gardine on perfectly normal and friendly terms. Noreen O'Connor had been given trusts totalling over £20,000 in Frank Tiarc's will, so she would never need money. Marie had also been left an annuity for her loyal service to the family. Noreen knew that she would not benefit from Marie's death in any way, 
as Peter said Noreen had been a witness to Marie's will. Peter T. Arx described how he stayed with Noreen as the doctor and the police arrived. He had not noticed anything unusual about Noreen's appearance, apart from some small brown marks on her arms that he had not attached any importance to at the time. The second witness to be called was the housekeeper, Eva Simmons. Eva had been employed by Noreen O'Connor since September 1953. She worked from 8.15 to 2pm each day before coming back in the evenings to prepare dinner for Noreen and Marie Bulls. She said that Noreen had cared for Marie deeply and they had got along very well. After Marie's second stroke, she had been bed-bound for weeks, and it was Noreen who looked after her. Eva said that Noreen often expressed concerns about Marie, and Eva thought that Noreen would have been distraught if anything were to happen to her friend. When she arrived on the morning of September 1st, and Noreen told her that a terrible thing had happened to Marie, Eva assumed that Marie had suffered another stroke. When Noreen said that she hadn't slept all night, Eva believed it because she was looking after an elderly woman and had likely been awake with worry. The third witness was Dr. Cooper. He had been the first person to see Marie's body on the morning of September 1st. Dr. Cooper spoke about Noreen and said, Both as a patient and an acquaintance, I have always found her level-headed, competent and sympathetic in her work and ready to help anyone. Under questioning, Dr. Cooper said that the injuries caused just after death could have the same appearance as those caused just before death and that Marie could have died from shock. The defence contended that Marie could have suffered a fatal stroke before the horrific injuries were inflicted on her eyes and face. However, Dr Cooper said that it was unlikely that amount of blood at the scene would have come from someone already dead. When a person dies, their heart ceases to pump blood around the body. As a result, bleeding that occurs after death is a passive flow of blood that remains in the tissue. Because there was blood seen on the floor and walls of the bedroom, it was improbable that Marie was already dead when she sustained the injuries, but she could have been unconscious. Morris Bailey said that when Noreen had come to speak with him on the evening before Marie's body was discovered, the co-director of the Callow Rock Line Company had found the things Noreen was saying to be very mystifying, and he had concluded that she must be, quote, mentally deranged. The pathologist Dr Rowley told the hearing that the large bruise on the back of Marie's head could have been caused by her falling off the bed and hitting her head on the floor or skirting. The police had not found anything in the house that could have been used as a weapon, so it seemed as though the bruise might have been inflicted accidentally. 
The wet slip, brazier and dress in Marie's bathroom were identified as belonging to Noreen, inferring that Noreen had stripped off her bloodied clothes after gouging the elderly woman's eyes out. When the chair of the bench, Mrs. Greenhill, who had presided over the hearing with other magistrates, announced that Noreen O'Connor would be committed for trial at Somerset Assizes, Noreen smiled and bowed, telling the magistrate, Thank you, madame. Noreen's counsel said that her client would plead not guilty and she would reserve her defence for the trial. The following day, Noreen O'Connor was transferred to Holloway Prison in London, where she was placed under the observation of the principal medical officer there, Dr. Thomas Christie. She had become increasingly difficult to manage in Exeter Prison and had to be kept in a padded cell for her own safety. The trial opened at Somerset Assizes in Wells on October 18th, 1954. Wearing the same grey coat and blue beret she had worn at each hearing, Noreen O'Connor answered the charge in a clear but quiet voice and she was asked how she would plead. Not guilty, she said. The prosecutor told the jury they would find it an unpleasant and dreadful case. He stated, The evidence leads we submit incontestably, unanswerably to the fact that Miss Balls met her death at the hands of the accused. That prima facie is murder. You will listen most carefully to my learned friend's suggestion to you that there is some other verdict you can give. The same witnesses that testified at the committal hearing in September spoke to the jury and repeated their experiences with Noreen before testimony came from experts who had examined the defendant while she was in custody. The principal medical officer at Holloway Prison, Dr Thomas Christie, said that during his talks with Noreen, He had heard her speak about approaching the top of the stairs after hearing noises coming from Marie Ball's room. He had formed the impression that as Noreen got to the landing, she had an overwhelming feeling that something evil was up there that would harm Marie. Noreen claimed she was protecting her friend. Dr Christie said, In my opinion... This delusional trend set up a defect of reason which was so severe that she was incapable of knowing that what she was doing was wrong. Dr Desmond Curran, a consultant psychiatrist at St George's Hospital in London, agreed with Dr Christie's findings, telling the court, by reason of the defect of reason, while she may have known what she was doing, She certainly did not know it was wrong, and I am very dubious as to whether Miss O'Connor even knew what she was doing. Throughout the proceedings, Noreen sat in the dock and watched as the jury listened intently to the experts and witnesses. When her counsel Norman Skelhorn QC began his summation, 
he reminded the jury that no motive could be established at all. Noreen would not benefit financially or otherwise from Marie's death, and in the days preceding the murder, many people had seen Noreen acting erratically. Skelhorn said that the one thing that was clear in the terrible and tragic case was that, quote, to inflict these horrible injuries was something completely foreign to the nature of this accused woman who was known to her friends as a kind, friendly person and an efficient nurse who had bestowed devoted attention to those under her care. The barrister argued that when his client killed her friend, she had been suffering from what the medical experts had termed acute mania. Skelhorn believed that she was destroying an evil entity. The barrister said, she did what she did to protect Marie. The jury were also told that in all probability, Marie had been unconscious when the injuries were inflicted, so they could take comfort in the fact that she likely did not suffer in the way that she would have otherwise. The barrister said the injuries were obviously the result of, quote, an insane attack. The defence do not challenge and indeed cannot challenge that the accused inflicted these injuries on Miss Bulls, who died from the consequences. As he ended his summation, Norman Skelhorn QC maintained that at the time Noreen O'Connor killed Marie Bulls. She was suffering from a defect of reasoning as a result of a disease of the mind. A presiding judge, Mr Justice Byrne, addressed the jury and told them about Noreen's behaviour in custody. He said that although she had been docile at first, she had later become violent and had to be housed in a padded cell. He told jurors, this unfortunate defendant, apparently extremely fond of this old woman, under no obligation to look after her, but in fact looking after her, was a woman of whom everybody speaks most highly, and she certainly became mentally deranged. The trial had lasted just over two hours and the jury did not even retire to deliberate on their verdict. Within a minute, they unanimously found Noreen O'Connor guilty but insane. When selecting this verdict, jurors believed that while her actions were a result of her mental state, the defendant was still able to understand what she had done. Justice Byrne ordered Noreen O'Connor to be kept in custody at Broadmoor at Her Majesty's pleasure until it was decided that she was fit for release. So where are we now? After it was founded in 1863... Broadmoor became the first asylum for criminal lunatics in Britain, and the first 95 patients were women. 
Since then, over 2,000 female patients have been admitted, and in 1954, Noreen O'Connor became one of them. Because of her financial stability, some assumed Noreen would have other benefits women in the psychiatric hospital could not afford. Still, the four female wards in outdated buildings provided very little in terms of rehabilitation. In recent years, there have been an increasing number of reports about the degradation and abuse female patients suffered at the facility. Following a number of scandals in the early 2000s, Broadmoor Hospital announced that it would be closing the female wards and transferring patients to other units throughout the country. Nothing is known about Noreen O'Connor's experience inside the facility, but it has been reported she died in 1983 after being moved to another care unit. Her actions while suffering a psychotic episode continue to repulse and engross people. Those who wonder what Noreen could have seen in her friend's eyes to make her want to gouge them out. Thank you for listening. And special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.